Hello, and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. John Ossoff was a documentary filmmaker and investigative journalist before he became a United States senator representing Georgia. He is the youngest member of the Senate, elected since 1980, the first millennial, in fact. He's also the first Jewish member of the Senate from Georgia, in fact, the first Jewish senator from the Deep South since 1878. Senator Ossoff joins us now in honor of Jewish American Heritage Month. Senator, welcome to People of the Pod. Manya, thank you so much for the invitation. It's an honor to be here. So Israel just celebrated its 75th birthday. It's a young country, but it's twice as old as you. You are 36, I believe. How do you relate to that historic milestone? I mean, as someone who is Jewish, who's a father, as a senator who knows Israel's strategic importance to the United States, how do you relate to Israel? Well, I think I should begin with a reflection on how my family's story has influenced me and influenced how I think about U.S.-Israel relations. I was sworn into the Senate, and in my jacket pocket at that moment had the ship's manifests documenting the arrival of my great-grandparents, Annie and Israel, at Ellis Island from Eastern Europe in 1911 and 1913. And they left Eastern Europe in the early 20th century, as so many European Jews did, fleeing anti-Semitism. And while many members of my family and ancestors managed to escape, as in so many Jewish families, there were many who did not. And of those who did not, to my knowledge, all but one perished in the Holocaust. And I remember as a very young child spending time with my uncle Nate. I called him Uncle Nate. He had escaped. And hidden in the forests around the camp and the work site until he was liberated. And I remember as a young child sitting with him and tracing with my finger the numbers tattooed into his arm. And I think so many American Jews have experiences like that one, having grown up among Holocaust survivors. And growing up among survivors and being keenly aware of the genocide of Jews, the attempt with industrial scale brutality to extinguish the Jewish people forever has a profound impact on all Jews, all Jews in the United States, all Jews around the world. And of course, it has a profound impact on how I view the state of Israel, recognizing that the state of Israel was established 75 years ago as Jews rebuilt in the ashes of the Holocaust and sought to establish a secure homeland for the Jewish people. I am now, as many American Jews are, deeply concerned about Israel's future, deeply concerned about the trends and dynamics and risks in the broader Middle East. And as an American policymaker, of course, particularly focused on U.S. national security interests and other interests in the region. So I have worked for the last couple of years 
to build strong working relationships on a foundation of trust with regional leaders in Israel and neighboring and surrounding countries and in the Palestinian Authority so that I can play a constructive role advancing U.S. interests and working to ensure that Israel can survive as a democracy and a secure homeland for the Jewish people, and also that all people in this region can one day flourish in peace and security and freedom. Do you believe that your colleagues share that understanding of is the importance of Israel, the importance of Israel to the Jewish people? And as a follow-up to that, you know, we deal a lot with combating and fighting anti-Semitism. How much of today's anti-Semitism is kind of disguised as anti-Israel criticism and has to do with a lack of understanding of the role of Israel? Well, look, I, I think that these things can and sometimes do overlap. And I think we also have to be clear that in our free society and as we as free citizens discuss the state of the world, we also have to avoid dismissing any critical views of Israeli policy as mere anti-Semitism, because there are many principled people who have a diversity of views about the Middle East region, who hold those views in good faith, not born of any kind of religious hatred. You know, as for my colleagues in the Senate, I, I do believe that there is a growing and strong awareness of the rising tide and threat of anti-Semitism at this moment here in the United States and around the world. In Georgia, just recently, there have been multiple incidents of hateful anti-Semitic literature being littered in the yards and driveways of Jews in different communities across the state. We've seen, of course, a significant increase in hate crimes, violent threats, and acts of violence targeting Jews. And I was speaking recently at a Yom HaShoah event at a cemetery in Atlanta. It's an annual event that I attend. The Israeli Consul General typically attends and local Jewish community leaders. And I heard a baby crying during the ceremony. And when I made my remarks, and, and as the father, my wife Alicia and I have an 18-month-old baby daughter at home, I shared with the crowd how, to me and I think to all of us, how profound it was to hear a baby crying at an event remembering the unfathomable loss of the Holocaust. Because that baby's voice is proof that the effort to destroy the Jewish people failed and that we survived and that we persist. But that Jewish child is also growing up at a time when anti-Semitism continues to grow as a threat to Jews of the United States and around the world, which requires us to be vigilant and determined, informed by our people's history, that threats to Jews have not been permanently defeated as they have throughout history. They rise and rise again, and we have to be ever vigilant. You have confronted anti-Semitism in the past, some very classic conspiracy theories. I'm curious how you confront that 
personally and and what government's role is in combating anti-Semitism. There was the widely covered, widely condemned incident during my Senate campaign when my opponent's campaign doctored an image of my face to lengthen my nose, portray me as sort of classic caricature, anti-Semitic caricature. And look, of course, as a public figure, some of the hate and ill will and, and sometimes threats that come my way have within them or are motivated by hatred of Jews and anti-Semitism. You know, I think as a public figure, Manya, I have had to build the armor personally necessary to protect myself and my family, to weather threats and insults that come with public life and leadership in the public arena. But for those who have not chosen a life in the public eye, you know, the swastika spray painted on the garage door, the hateful pamphlet dropped in the driveway, the threatening anonymous voicemail, you know, it's more than just upsetting and disturbing. It represents threat to a family's safety. It represents a threat to children, to life, to property. And it undermines and can destroy the trust that we have, that our communities are open and tolerant and based upon love and acceptance of one another, regardless of our faith. So it's a deeply worrying and corrosive and threatening dynamic in our society right now. So should Jewish families build a similar armor, similar to what you have developed as a public figure, or does the government have a role in doing something to combat it? Private citizens should not have to weather and endure and be subjected to hatred and harassment and bigotry. And there is a role for leaders in government. I work alongside my colleague, Senator Jackie Rosen of Nevada, on the bipartisan joint task force on anti-Semitism to develop solutions within Congress. But at this moment of increased hatred and violence and division along all kinds of lines in our society, religious, racial, ethnic, political, cultural, all of us, leaders and citizens, are called upon to promote and defend and strengthen the loving and trusting and tolerant bonds between neighbors and fellow citizens to make our society more resilient uh, to the fringe, which promotes hatred, and to ensure that the United States lives up to its highest ideals as a place where, regardless of where one came from or how one worships, one can be free and safe and treated with dignity. In fact, you called for a federal task force, an interagency task force to address anti-Semitism back in December. That task force has become a reality. But I'm curious if you feel like that task force should be working toward more of a civil society response or actual government agencies, policies to really curb the spread of anti-Semitism. Or maybe it's a combination of both. (laughs) Look, I think that there is clearly a role for leaders in government and elected officials to promote and strengthen policies and ideals that defend the public against hate crimes, against violence, 
against harassment. And this also has to be a broader effort shared by leaders in all fields, business leaders, faith leaders, civic leaders, community leaders, and every ordinary citizen. The reality is that despite how hateful and divided the public discourse can seem and is, and despite the alarming and dangerous rise in anti-Semitism and various forms of hatred, most people are deeply good. Most people are kind. Most people cherish the American ideals of equal justice, freedom of religion, and the basic idea that this is a place where people from all kinds of family backgrounds coexist and live together as Americans, not on the basis of one religious creed or racial identity or national origin, but on the basis of commitment to our country's fundamental values. And I think we all have a role to play in defending and lifting up that vision of our society at a time when there is so much hate in the political and cultural and and social discussion. You interned in high school for the late Congressman John Lewis of Blessed Memory, a longtime dear friend of AJC. What is the direction of the relationship between Black and Jewish communities in America? Where are the points of tension, the points of promising engagement? Where do we go from here? You know, sort of an extraordinary 24 hours in Georgia's history and U.S. history, January 5th to January 6th of 2021. On January 5th, the state of Georgia, and you know our complex history as both the cradle of a civil rights movement and the heart of the old Confederacy, elected to the U.S. Senate, the 33-year-old Jewish son of an immigrant and a black pastor who holds the same pulpit that Dr. King did at Ebenezer Baptist Church the first black senator in Georgia's history, the first Jewish senator in Georgia's history, the first Jew elected to the Senate from the Deep South since 1878. And that is a powerful testament to what I was describing earlier, that, you know, despite the level of of hatred and division that we see in our public life, this country has come so far in terms of tolerance. But it wasn't 12 hours later that the U.S. Capitol was being ransacked by a hateful and violent mob, in some cases sporting neo-Nazi and Confederate symbols, who tried to use violence to prevent the peaceful transfer of power in our democracy, a core process in our constitutional system. And so while what happened on January 5th demonstrated how far we have come, What happened the next day demonstrated the reality of the very real and present threat to those values. I mentioned that I was sworn in with, in my jacket pocket, the ship's manifest documenting my great-grandparents' arrivals at Ellis Island. I was also sworn in on the Tanakh that had belonged to Rabbi Jacob Rothschild, who had been the longtime rabbi at the temple, the Atlanta synagogue that I attended growing up where I was bar mitzvahed. And the temple in 1958 was bombed by the Klan in retaliation for Rabbi Rothschild's alliance with Dr. King and his denunciation of segregation. And I was sworn in on that Tanakh because 
of course, of the special role that that synagogue had played in my upbringing, but also because of the values that it represented as a possession of Rabbi Rothschilds at the moment when Senator Warnock and I had been, had been elected. And since Congressman Lewis had been a key mentor in my life, and I so well recall that one of the first things he ever explained to me in great detail when we sat down together was the historic alliance between blacks and Jews in the civil rights movement, how he had marched alongside rabbis and Jews who had come to the South in the Freedom Summer to demand civil rights and voting rights. And you know that's a, a legacy of solidarity between two peoples who have had very different, but both long-term struggles against hatred genocide. And I think it's a bond that needs to be nourished and strengthened. Do you see obstacles in the way of that? Look, in Georgia, the Jewish and Black communities love one another, work closely together, and there is always room for growth. And so, Manya, in closing, I'm going to have to run and vote on the floor of a Senate in just a moment. I just want to, if I might, take this opportunity to reiterate what I said earlier, but at a, at a moment like this, when there is hatred and violence threatening and in the air and on the ground in reality, and when Jewish families and many American families of various minority backgrounds feel threatened by the rise in hate crimes and religious, and racial, and ethnic and cultural hatred, it's our shared obligation to make real a country that lives up to America's highest ideals. And I believe that we can and we will by pulling together and believing in that and working together to defend what's best about the United States. I really appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you. And thank you for the work you do, getting information out there and, and connecting Jews across the country through this podcast. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Senator. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. People of the Pod is celebrating Jewish American Heritage Month by devoting all of our regular May episodes to what makes us Jewish and proud. Be sure to tune in for our previous conversations, first with AJC CEO Ted Deutsch on why this month-long celebration matters, and then busy in Brooklyn food blogger Hani Outfelbaum expanding on something we all love to do, eat. There's more to come. Feast on all of these episodes and more during Jewish American Heritage Month. Bon appetit! Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at AJC.org slash People of the Pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at AJC.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod. 